Welcome to Empire, presented by CW Hemp, a weekly installment dedicated to exploring the non-psychoactive side of the cannabis plant. Once a cornerstone of the American economy, hemp has been used in over 25,000 products, including paper, textiles, construction materials, health food, and fuel. Now, tune in and discover all there is to know about this wonder crop making a historic comeback. Empire, presented by CW Hemp, starts now. Hey, Cannabis Radio listeners, we're back with Empire, the section of our show where we explore all things hemp. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine, author of the Oxford University Press book, Understanding Marijuana. I'm the High Times columnist and member of the advisory board at the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Law. And I did want to mention to all our Burning Issues fans that my delightful student, Mallory Laughlin, who was in our very first episode, will be working with none other than Dr. Marcel Bond Miller. And Dr. Miller is here. Listeners probably remember him as the guy behind the clinical trials for cannabis PTSD. Let's get some more news on him in psychopathology and health. Thanks for joining us, Marcel. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. So I'm completely stoked. Mallory did that first paper on dabs and did our very first show here. And I love the she's going to come and do some work in your lab. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. She's starting in a a couple months or so. And we're already starting to put our heads together and, and start writing some papers. So I'm really excited. And yeah, couldn't be more delighted to start working with her. That's great. So I'm just curious, uh, we'd love to get an update on how things are going with the PTSD trial, if you feel like that'd be appropriate. Yeah. So um, right now we had our investigator meeting probably within the past month. The point of that is essentially to get together all the sites that are doing the trial. So in this case, the folks at Johns Hopkins University, as well as the folks in Arizona, all get together with myself and some of the folks at at MAPS who's sponsoring the trial and talk about every single design consideration, detail and nuance about the whole protocol just to make sure that we have everything together um, and everything's correct. So, sorry, was that background noise? No, that's crazy. That's, uh, that's okay. We're excited, right. first of all. So, yeah, MAPS is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, and it's run by Rick Doblin, and they're actually providing the money for this trial. Can you let us know sort of how that all worked out? Well, they're not providing the money for the trial. They're just acting as the fiscal sponsor. So they're acting like an institution. Um, the money for the trial is coming from the state of Colorado, from a grant oh, that we received. Yeah. Yeah, so we're... We had the investigator meeting for the trial. We're really excited about that. Worked out a couple little details, a couple little changes to the protocol. Um, And then we're submitting those uh, revisions to the IRB, the Institutional Review Board, so that we have everything is kind of all the checks and balances are there. And then we're going to move forward to starting the trial, which I think will be in the next few weeks um, to a month or so. So when recruitment starts, by all means, let us know, and we will do everything we can to help folks rally. Will it be around the same areas as you mentioned before? Yeah, so recruitment will be taking place in Baltimore as well as um, in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area. All right. And then you had mentioned before there were going to be some different conditions. I don't want to confound anything should anybody end up volunteering, so we might not go into as much detail on, on that. I yeah, no, I can tell you a little bit about that. By all means, that'd be, be great. Helpful. 
Yeah, so we're essentially doing, we have four conditions that people get randomized into. One is um, a high THC condition. The other is a high CBD condition, one-to-one condition, and the third is a placebo. So essentially what we're trying to see is if THC, CBD, an equal balance of THC and CBD versus a placebo, how those differentially affect PTSD symptoms. And CBD is super hot in the news now, and I'd be curious if, if uh, you've got any sort of tacit hypotheses, if not actually stated ones, about how that might uh, either improve or alter THC's impact on PTSD symptoms. Yeah, I mean, that's an empirical question, and I think we're, um, we're excited to find out and, and really look into this. In terms of its effects with THC, I mean, I think, um, you know, what we know in the literature is that THC and CBD have very differential effects um, for a lot of conditions and symptoms. And so it kind of may help balance out um, and reduce the negative consequences associated with THC for some folks, um, like heightened anxiety or paranoia or things like that. But we'll really see. I mean, I think there's, you know, a strong case for you know, I think you could make a case for each of the different conditions in this as potentially helpful for folks with PTSD. You know, for THC, we're seeing a lot of folks with PTSD gravitate towards high THC cannabis. So I think that's, you know, an important condition to look at. You know, for CBD, as you said, there's been a lot of, you know, emerging evidence, you know, more and more interest and in, in evidence looking at CBD and its anxiolytic effects so that it reduces anxiety. But again, like the, the one-to-one, you know, might be a sweet spot between the the benefits of both. So, you know, it's we're a delightful really design. I, I really think it's a great way to, to check this out, and I'm, I'm super excited. We had uh, Joel Stanley, the CEO of Charlotte's Web, on before, just basically talking about some of the roles of those antioxidants and neuroprotectants. And we're still kind of in the baby stages of finding out how these really work with humans. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I think that's a fair summary. I mean, most of the work that's been done on cannabis from a research perspective has really been focused on THC. This has been, you know, work that started up in the 50s and 60s, really, um, and really kind of got steam in the 80s and 90s. But it really mostly focused on THC, like 90 plus percent of the work that's been done on cannabis at all is focused on THC. And so it's kind of exciting to really start looking at other cannabinoids, because as you know, there's, you know, over 100 different cannabinoids in the in the plant. And we really don't know a whole lot about any of the other ones. So we just did a review where we looked at specifically what work has been done on secondary cannabinoids. So CBD, THCV, CBN, et cetera, over the past five years. And most of that work has focused on CBD with only like a one or two studies for each, for any of the other cannabinoids across any type of work, preclinical, uh, so animal work, all the way up through clinical. It's interesting times. And then on July 7th, uh, the National Institute of Drug Abuse sent out a, a big information request essentially saying what marijuana varieties or strains would researchers want, what kind of products do they want, and what kind of questions would they want to address. Did you get that? And what would you recommend? Yeah, I think it's a really important call. And I think it has to do with the uh, changing landscape and understanding of the, you know, kind of uh, importance of other cannabinoids um, and kind of a a more complex and nuanced approach to cannabis research. So excited. Yeah. Yeah. So in this case, I mean, I would say, you know, for the cannabis that we're doing in the PTSD trial that you mentioned, 
we're getting that cannabis from the National Institutes of Drug Abuse, as is required for all administration trials in the U.S. at this point. So for the, the National Institute of Drug Abuse um, call, I think it's really exciting because right now the cannabis that we get from the National Institutes of Drug Abuse really focuses specifically on THC and CBD. Um, so if you want, for example, cannabis with high amounts of THC, low amounts of CBD, just like I described for the PTSD trial that we're doing, which is this is where we're getting our cannabis from, that you can, you can easily do. So um, if you want to manipulate THC and CBD levels, very easy to do with existing products. The problem is that if you're interested in anything else, so any other secondary cannabinoids or terpenes, for example, it's really hard to get, uh, you know, NIDA doesn't really track that information or really provide or, or breed plants high in secondary cannabinoids or certain terpenes. Um, and so it's difficult to do research on those you know, compounds um, with the existing supply. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's important for us all to take a step back, think about what's available to the two researchers um, and what needs to change in terms of availability. And so it's exciting that NIDA's thinking about that. Um, and, you know, we'll see. I'm curious, is your high THC that 8% strain or is there something new? Um, we're using a 12, I think it's something like a 12% um, THC. They do a lot of blending at NIDA. Um, and so again, if you're just focused on THC and CBD, they can blend um, to different potencies, different concentrations of cannabinoids. But again, really just focusing on THC and CBD. It's, it's wild too, because there's just so much psychoactivity potentially and neuroprotective effects and all these other, other things. I'm curious, would you like other preparations? Would you feel like something other than standard vaporized cannabis might have some advantages? Yeah, I think that that's another important part. I mean, I know NIDA has started to, to you know, develop other, you know, like concentrates, extracts. But I think that it's really important to be studying this stuff. You know, I mean, DABs, as you mentioned in the front end of this call, and Mallory's um, initial podcast and work around this, you know, this is a phenomenon that's, you know, really wild of what's going on socially is that a lot of individuals are starting to use dabs that have really high amounts of THC and availability of that, those sorts of products from a research perspective is critical so that we can understand the, you know, mental health as well as, you know, societal implications of, of these alter, alternate methods of administration. It really is curious in part we've talked about, you know, how there's that slower administration with some of the edibles, but a much longer duration of effects. Those oddball 11-hydroxy-THC uh, sort of things where we've essentially got compounds that we wouldn't normally get from smoked or vaporized cannabis, and we're still only looking at uh, essentially one cannabinoid out of, like you were saying, about 100. So we've got to take a break here and just talk to some of our cannabis radio sponsors but you're listening to Hempire we're talking to Dr. Marcel Bond Miller and we're uh, covering some of the wild information requests from the National Institute of Drug Abuse stay tuned we'll be right back hold on for more Hempire after you've grown to learn more about our sponsors the next generation of vaporizers has arrived Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. 
Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. All you have to do is decriminalize. We don't need a government regulation to tell us this is good plot, that's bad plot. We don't need any of that. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Time to harvest more crop-tastic content on Hempire, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right. Hey, welcome back to Hempire. Dr. Mitch Earlywine here. We're talking with Dr. Marcel Bond-Miller about a wild information request that came from the National Institute on Drug Abuse asking researchers essentially what it is they're looking for. One of the things they mention is what are the particular research questions that could or would be addressed if we had new products and new strains? Is there something that's sort of in the back of your mind, Marcel, something you're dying to know? Well, I mean, here's a, I'll give a concrete example of kind of where some early research is pointing and, you know, where we're limited in terms of availability with NIDA. So THCV, so tetrahydrocannabivarin, is a secondary cannabinoid that's received some really interesting preclinical work. So preclinical, again, meaning among animals that, you know, shows that this could be something that is very helpful for, for example, folks with addictions and traditional addictions like nicotine addiction. And that THCV might be something that could help as a treatment for folks who, you know, are tobacco users and and, um, addicted to nicotine. But at at the moment, in terms of availability, if you wanted to do a study on THCV, the only producer of THCV right now is GW Pharmaceuticals, which is based over in England. And to my understanding, is not importing it at the moment into the U.S. So you know, this is a situation where, you know, good luck getting a hold of THCV for any study because NIDA doesn't have it. And the one producer that have it, has it is a private company over in England that at the moment, I believe, is not important. So, you know, that's a, a concrete barrier to research. You know, if you wanted to explore this among humans or do more, more trials of it, it's, you know, nearly impossible. It's a wild legal conundrum, too. I'm not even sure if necessarily THCV 
is a Schedule One drug or not. We've had some of the same uh, confusion with cannabidiol, and I know you went through a lot just to get approval to, to do the administration you did. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the issue is that, you know, there's a lot of question about, you know, at the moment, the way the law is written, you know, cannabis broadly, including all of its constituents, are considered Schedule One substances. Um, so in this case, THCV would be a Schedule One. You know, there's a little bit of, there's a little more nuance to the, to the discussion about CBD um, because there have been specific, and Joel can speak to this a lot more clearly and, and eloquently than I can. Um, but there's some legal precedent about CBD maybe not being under the you know traditional Schedule One umbrella that cannabis is going, um, but yeah, I mean that's definitely a hurdle as well. I mean it doesn't again make it impossible to do the research, but you know if everything's Schedule One, it just means extra time, extra oversight for getting these clinical trials done. And a, a, a ton of paperwork. Yeah, at Charlotte's Web at, at CWHemp.com, they basically have it consistent with the idea that if THC is less than 0.3%, that it's consistent with other categorizations and so that cannabidiol would be available. I don't think that that's ever actually been brought to trial or anything, but it it seems to be working well for the the folks who can uh, literally get deliveries to all 50 states right now. So I think that's intriguing. And then I love this notion. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I think there is some legal precedent um, that Joel can explain again. It's (laughs) <laughs> he knows this better than I can, but but right. I, mean, I think right now it has to do with the amount of THC that co-occurs with it for that. Exactly, exactly. And I want to emphasize, too, that THCV seems to have a lot of uh, antitoxic properties, so maybe essentially a way to, to undo uh, certain poisons, and we're just not there as far as the research is concerned. And yeah. Then- you, you also mentioned CBN. Do you have any uh, hopes or prayers for, for that one? It's a good question. I, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't – I, I want to say there have only been, you know, a study or two studies in the past five years that have focused on CBN. I mean, it's really – you know, we, we know nothing <laughs> of any meaningfulness about a lot of these other cannabinoids. Um, again, we see some – and this is the important about observational research is that – we have some early anecdotal reports of individuals who are saying, yeah, you know, like CBG or CBN really helps me. Um, and I look for things that are specifically high in that. And th- this is just kind of just emerging from the from anecdotal evidence um, and reports, which is great because it kind of helps us sort of steer more experimental research. But yeah, I mean, empirically, not a whole lot of it. It's, it's wild because, I mean, and thank God for the Israelis who've been working so hard on this, but I mean, we've known about CBN for probably 30 years and right. uh, literally have, have never had a human trial where it was administered that, that I can recall. And so no, I, I, I think, think, you know, so. generalizing yeah. from the rats is getting, is getting a little old. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I understand you're in India right now. I am. Is, is this a personal quest or a, a cannabis-related work? or a- Just some other work that I'm doing on um, certain types of meditation that's unrelated to my cannabis work. All right. I, I do love the overlap of the, the whole uh, mindfulness, both uh, pharmacologically created and otherwise. Yeah, it's really interesting and, and very different perspectives on it. I mean, folks here you know, don't use substances at all and think you know, that that is a... 
a non-pure or non-natural way of achieving certain states of mind. So it's a very different perspective on achieving, you know, relief, let's say, from um, symptoms of psychopathology or other distress. Um, but it's, you know, an important one that we need to understand more, more clearly and thoroughly. No, that's delightful. We've we've done uh, segments on mindfulness and things like that, and I, I feel like those data are super important. I appreciate you spearheading some of that work. When we look at cannabidiol, now you've mentioned that there will at least be some of that manipulated in this trial, and there's at least more uh, work on that, though not as much as there was in THC. I'm curious, are there, uh, I know you've done some other work with other anxieties. Are there other ways to make this go? Yeah, I mean, CBD is, CBD is an interesting one because, you know, what we're seeing right now in the literature and is that this is a, a cannabinoid that has wide ranging implications and that is very <laughs> atypical for any other substance that, that has been looked at, I think, in traditional medicine. So, you know, the evidence for CBD ranges from an anti-inflammatory to analgesic to an anxiolytic and, you know, and everything in between. This is something that's a neuroprotective. And it's very, very fascinating to start seeing how this, the literature is shaking out around this and, and really trying to understand the mechanisms involved. Um, we even saw, you know, as we were doing our review, there was a study and now a second one that just came out a few months back that showed that CBD, and again, these are these studies that I'm about to mention are preclinical, so they're among animals, but showing CBD as an antidepressant with effects as strong as some tricyclic or other antidepressants that are on the market, um, which is really fascinating. And so I think, you know, the work in CBD is wide ranging and really, really important at this point, particularly given that it doesn't have the traditional consequences that have been associated with THC or, or, or you know, cannabis broadly. We see that CBD at the moment, there's been no evidence that it's addictive, that it produces withdrawal. It's well tolerated up to pretty high levels, pretty high doses, which is really interesting and exciting in terms of, you know, determining optimal doses um, for folks. Um, and, you know, I think that this is, this is something that doesn't also have the, you know, doesn't make you feel high. Um, which a lot of people may find aversive, and which what which is what comes with THC. So it's pretty. It's curious because that seems to be what folks are afraid of: is that this change in subjective state is somehow going to either create a propensity for dependence or impaired performance or things like that. And CBD really doesn't have these effects. And I love your emphasis on the on the extremes and doses because some of these responses seem to be kind of an inverted U, where a little bit doesn't seem to do anything way too much doesn't seem to do anything, but that sort of Goldilocks just right dose right. to really make a huge difference. And we've seen comparable things with THC and pain so that the, the right. really high doses actually don't help pain. The really low right. doses just aren't enough to have an impact, but right in the middle uh, seems, seems to go particularly well. Absolutely. And so in this case, you know, like we're starting to do some studies on athletes um, in the U.S. where we're really starting to look at the potential benefits of, of CBD in relation to other more traditional, you know, pharmacotherapies. Uh, for that's, that's super. And I mean, I get emails about those at least twice a month. I'm sure you must get them all the time. This subset of focused performance, uh, slight 
you know, immunity to pain. So like skiing magazines, all the football guys, you know, everybody seems right. to be really into this. And yet we just haven't quite been able to point to definitive work. So I really feel like there's a, a lot of good stuff to be done out there. I'm curious. Absolutely. Do, you, do you feel like there's a chance for generalized anxiety disorder or uh, phobia or, or something else in this same domain to, to get its own clinical trial down the line? Yeah, it's really fascinating that you mentioned that. Actually, I was just in Prague and having a conversation with some folks over there who are you know, really doing some cutting-edge cannabis research. And we were talking about doing a trial of CBD for generalized anxiety disorder. You know, I mean, I think the evidence at this point is, is sufficient enough to give it a go. And, and so we're starting, to, we're starting the conversation, starting to put together a protocol and potentially running that over in the Czech Republic. Oh, man, that's super exciting. Hey, these are exciting times for the cannabinoids. And I just want to uh, thank, again, Dr. Marcel Von Miller. Dude, you you are making it happen, and I could not be more delighted. The, the whole world really thanks you, man. This is this is going to have a huge impact, and I'm looking forward to you know watching the rest of your career. Thank you so much for having me. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.